Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. We are in this uh, time of Lent, and Easter's coming up in two weeks. We've got, um, we've been doing this daily reading prayer, hopefully we've been doing this daily reading prayer and worship. If you still want to, you can jump on this week. If you want to just jump on and do the next two weeks, that would be fantastic. If you go to our website, you go to that QR code, it says daily reading, it, it marks out each day that you do your readings. Um, We're asking you to pray and counter God each week and worship on some level. Um, And then on Sundays, that's today, we're asking you to have meals with family and friends. To really take some time and and be with your family during during that time. We're in a series called How Beautiful Are the Feet, leading up to the cross. The the most beautiful picture, um, and it's this, this... The crucifixion is this, you want to turn away, but you can't... Stop looking at it as you think about what God did for you. It's this just this tension that we sit in. And how beautiful are the feet is what we've been talking about that bring the gospel, the good news of Christ. And it's, we're today reading out of Luke 7. I'm going to have actually Chris come up um, and read that for us. I did have a Bible up here. Did I put it back? Sorry. Yes, I did. Um, and I'm going to have her read our scripture. She's a much better reader. It's kind of funny. You guys know. Um, we're, that is just the truth. Thank you. Luke 7, starting in 36. So do let me get you your mic so we can hear. There you go. Thank you. 36? Yes. Oh, right here. Okay. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she was rec- he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. 
Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, we thank you for this scripture. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see this morning. God, you'd speak to us. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful feet that bring the good news of the gospel to others, to us, Father God. Holy Spirit, come into this place and speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You know, we've been talking around this, and, and what I, I asked Chris to uh, talk about real quick this morning was the experience she had, the beautiful feet that brought the gospel to her, that changed her life. And I just want you to talk real quickly about that. Real quickly. Okay. Um, well, I, I teared up because I was this woman, right? Just really messy and full of all kinds of stuff. And I had moved from a small town in Tennessee to uh, Los Angeles to try and make it in the business. And um, I had met a woman named Lakita who was dating AC Green at the time. I was working with the Lakers organization. And so um, I got to meet Lakita. She was great. What I loved about Lakita, though, though is um, she waited on God's timing. She was obedient and faithful to share the gospel with me, but not until God felt like he gave her the freedom to do that. Because I think if she had done it even one day before she did, my heart wouldn't have been ready. Um, I had had a cross that I had worn in college that I had traveled to Rome to dance and had been blessed by the Pope. And I would take this cross off and I would pin it underneath my uniform when I went out on the court and danced and stuff. And so she would share Jesus with my roommate. And I remember I would go to her and I was like, how come you never tell me about Jesus? And she would go, because you already think you're saved. You already think you're saved. You know, you think you pin this cross underneath your thing and you think that means something to her, to you. But she was right. It was, it's the, you know, the same thing that we always say, the difference between religion and relationship. I would go to church because I thought it made me have a better week or made me feel good or whatever, but I really didn't understand relationship. And so Lakita was the first person who um, really saw that even though I acted like a Christian, that I really wasn't living that life. And so she cared about me and loved me enough that she shared the gospel with me and she told me about who Jesus was. And I was like, oh, I already know that. I already know that. But she really began to not only tell me biblical stories, but really about the relationship that he wanted to have with me, about how he loved me unconditionally. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an unconditional love. And for me, coming out of a family that was, I'll love you if you do this. I'll love you if you obey our rules. If you don't, you are cast out of the family. There was a lot of that stuff. And so it was so refreshing for me to understand that it didn't matter what I looked like on the outside, that Jesus wanted my heart. And I had given him other things, but I hadn't quite given him my heart. So I was very faithful um, for her beautiful feet that brought me the gospel and the truth. So, That's good. There you go. Thank you. It, it is. Each one of us have stories of the feet that came and delivered the gospel, and I would love to hear them. I'd love for others to hear. I thank God today for this woman, Lakita Garth, who was bold enough to speak the truth to my wife and, and bring truth to her as God spoke to her. And each one of you, if you know Jesus, has a story like that. And, and 
what we need to see out of this and what we're talking about is this. Someone brought you the truth. Someone brought you the gospel. Now God's saying, okay, now you take the good news and you give it to someone else. Let's look at this story a little bit now and look at these two main uh, uh, characters in this story. And we see this, we have Simon, and it's interesting that he names Simon. Simon's the one who was a little jacked up. But then we have a woman. demand is this one point, grace. In every other religion, you can work your way to heaven. And it's only through Christianity that God says, no, 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 there's no way to get and attain me. And it's only through my son, Jesus Christ. Yet the religious leaders of the day thought there were other ways. For some reason, and you look at this story, it's, it's quite interesting. Here's Jesus with all of his disciples, and, and Simon is as rude as can be. Culturally, it was completely out of context. He invites Jesus in, but doesn't show him the hospitality of the day. There's no kisses, you know, the old kiss on the cheek, you know, the, the welcoming. There's no washing of the feet. You can imagine what it was like back then and what the feet were like, you know. It, it's what you did. Either you had a servant that would wash your guest's feet or the one who owned the home would wash his guest's feet. Simon would do it. No one did that. There was no oil to anoint his head. There was literally no respect. It was almost like Simon had a little bit of a grudge. It was almost like Simon was like, look, I see you, Jesus, and you got these huge crowds. I don't really get those crowds. Come over to my house, and I'll show you. It's odd that he would treat Jesus that way. And this word paints this picture, and Jesus talks of this man. And Simon had no self-awareness. He had no self-awareness. You want to know what's scary in life? A person who has no self-awareness. You, you know what I'm talking about? Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your wife or husband. Do you know anybody that has no self-awareness? And they, they just they walk around, and they've never looked in the mirror. And they're so self-righteous. And th this is the man that Jesus is talking to here, Simon. He has no idea who he is. It scares me to think that maybe I, I walk in this place. Now, fortunately, I have a woman that makes me cry at night because she's hard, you know, and you guys know this isn't true. You know I'm, I'm totally, I know, I, I don't even have to qualify that, but she would say later, please qualify that so they don't think I'm that way. But you guys already know she's not that way. That's called sarcasm. That's how it works. So, uh, <laughs> 
See, she laughed at my jokes too. I like it. Uh, there's this, uh, you know, I have people in my, I have Melvin in my life. I have Eddie in my life. I have a wonderful parents that don't allow me to sit in that place. Are there moments that I do? Absolutely. But a long stretch of time, I don't have that to be able to sit in this place with no self-awareness because they will tell me if I have a booger in my nose. You know someone loves you if they do that. And I, if, if I'm with someone and they've got something going and they're, they're good friends, like Rick, if we're at lunch and you got something going, I'm telling you. Someone that I don't like, I'm going to let it hang there all day long <laughs> just because it's fun. You love someone, you let them know what is going on, what they look like. You let them know about who they are. Why? Because there's this relationship and this trust. This man had no self-awareness. He was self-righteous. See, he had it all together. Look, everything that they saw, he had the right robes, he had the right pedigree, he had the right uh, uh, education. He had everything that looked perfect other than he had no heart. What do we know about the woman? What do we know about the, again, I find it fascinating that it says Simon, but then it just says this woman. She was in fact a woman. Now, that sounds kind of obvious, but there's a reason that that's important. And she was a woman in the town who lived a sinful life. Why do we say she was, in fact, a woman? Because cultural attitudes matter. And culturally back then, women had no power. There was no such thing as equal rights. There was no, this is, I love this one. Men could divorce their wives if they burnt their dinner. Where do you sign up for that one? That's, come on. Again, there's this thing called, you know, sarcasm, and maybe I'm in the wrong place to be. You don't even cook. I cook. So it'd be me burning your dinner. Um, Hebrew women were not allowed to divorce their husbands, but men could divorce their wives for just about anything they wanted. In a culture in which women did not survive unless they were linked to a patriarchal household, it was disastrous for a woman to be divorced, to be on her own. It's, it's important to understand what, what this woman was, who she was. She was a woman in that town that lived a sinful life. People knew of her. Cultural attitudes toward a sinful woman in Jesus' day were even worse than a divorced woman. She was divorced. She was a prostitute. And she was a sinner. Strike one, strike two, and strike three. She wasn't to be around any religious leaders. The opposite of Jesus. The church is in the perfect place because there's a bar right there and there's a nightclub right there. You know, if, if, if this was Simon, we would not have this church here because there's a bar over there and there's a club right there. Some of you are going, wait, wait, wait. You got you to look at your lives. And we talked about it last week. Who's surrounding you? This woman knew exactly who she was. Probably because people would walk around and they'd talk about her. Probably because when she looked in the mirror, she knew what she did for a living. Probably because there was just no self-esteem. Probably because she knew in the culture that she was a castaway, that no one wanted anything to do with her. Probably because she knew she had no chance. She knew she needed grace, and she knew exactly who she was. This woman was broken, and she washed the feet of Jesus. 
She kissed his feet. She anointed his head. She showed the utmost respect for this man named Jesus. How can there be such a contrast between the two? How, how, can, how can we have this? How is the religious guy the jerk? How is the guy that has all the degrees, the pedigrees, the right family, the right everything, the one that you just don't want to be around? How is it when you read this story, you go, I want to be around the hooker? That's kind of funny. I don't get to say hooker in church much, so come on, people. How is it that that's the one that you go, I, I, I kind of want to hang with her? I would argue that one encountered the feet of Jesus and the other didn't. One was said to be the religious hierarchy, and one was useless. The question that you and I have to ask today is, where do I sit? Where, where do I sit? Have you encountered the feet of Jesus? Are you playing the religious game? Does everything look perfect over here? I've talked about it before in a church that we were, we were at years ago and, and the pastor and his, his wife were, were, you know, and all their kids, it was unbelievable. Like I was so intimidated because they all sat in the front row and, and all were impeccably dressed and all had notebooks and all had, even the two-year-old had a Bible and I think she was actually reading and, and th- I mean, they're just, I'm going, oh God, help me, I can't read. Um, and, and everything is, I mean, it was perfect. Except for when it wasn't. Except for the divorce. Everything sounded so good. All the right words. All the right actions. You know the Christian, you know you say the right Christian stuff to impress a certain crowd. God bless you, brother, sister. In the name of Jesus, let's pray. You haven't prayed for, you know, for a meal in, in a year, and all of a sudden you're with a Christian. Let's pray. Can I pray over our meal? It, 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 that is the Pharisee. See, it's this religious, religious that, that, that never encountered, what does that mean? Never had relationship with the creator of heaven. Doesn't understand why grace is so important. It's this, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. I got to come to church twice a month. I got to read my Bible. I've got to do the, John's talking about the 40-day reading plan or whatever. I got to do this. No, 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 you've completely missed it. The religious guy never encountered Jesus. I have to ask myself, do I play the religious games? Yes. I'm really good at it. I, you're good at it too. See, it, it's when I encounter Jesus on a daily basis. That's why I talk about word, day, pray, worship each day. Because when I encounter him each day, I'm more who God has called me to be and less of that guy that knows how to say the, the right things. It, it, now, let me just clarify so when we're talking though you don't go oh is he just saying the right things because he's a religious leader or does he really mean it of course I really mean it okay again lost you sorry I do but I can play the game I don't want to play the game I want to be one who encounters Jesus every single day at his feet and I'm different because of it what does religion look like? It's centered on what I do and how good I am. 
It's always doing, never seeing. Keeping the moral law, not following. Not following Jesus. Look, religion is centered on what I do and how good I am. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe, mint, dill, and cumin. He's he's literally saying this. He starts, now think about that. Finally a church where everybody's given. Everybody's tithing. Again, I'm funny today and you guys are not with me. Everybody in this church is like 10%, 10%. And Jesus says, woe to you. He's like, I don't even care if you give, if your heart isn't what it's supposed to be. I don't care what you give if it's a religious act. And Jesus literally says, woe to you. These religious leaders, if you give out of compulsion because this, I I want people to see me, I want it to be. No, no, no. It's out of the fact that I own nothing. God owns everything. And he asked me to give back 10%. Not because he needs my money, but because he's asking me to be obedient. Because he's asking me, what owns your heart? That's what he's saying. But here he says, woe to you. Woe to you. Religion is always doing, and it's never seen. Religion is always keeping busy, always, you know, your Bible with you, reading, taking notes. It's always, hey, brother, we've got to pray over this situation. It's, there's no common sense, and it. it's just, hey, we got to, if we can't look at the Bible. Now, there's this tension between everything is filtered through this Bible, yes, and then there's this tension between being paralyzed because you can't, you know, make a decision. And, and, and religion is always doing, never seeing. Again, uh, Acts, or Luke 18, it says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I, that I get. Now, think about this. These religious leaders, remember, they go to the temple each day. They teach, they tithe, they do all those things. Now, look what it says here in Acts 3. And a man lame from birth being carried, whom they laid, who laid daily at the gate of the... Where? Come on, we can do better. He's laying Where? Where do the Pharisees go every single day? They go to the temple. They're always doing, but they're never seeing. They go to the temple every single day. You walk by that person, that homeless person, every single day. You walk by that person that's hurting in your office every single day. You walk by whomever it is, and you keep going, but hey, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms for those who are entering the temple. And there are people that are sitting on your right and sitting on your left. And religion says this, I ain't got the time. Religion says this, ah, they don't smell, look, or sound right. Religion says, let's just keep our distance. Yet I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to read my Bible. How can there be such a huge disconnect for this holy religious man to walk by the same man every single day? And it took Jesus and it took his disciples to look at him and notice him. Religious is always doing, never seen. Don't, it is this bound up, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. No, no, just, just stop. 
see. Ask for eyes to see. Some of you need to ask for eyes to see your spouse. Some of you need to ask for eyes to see your loved ones, to see your children, to see your friends and your families, your co-workers. But have eyes to see. Don't worry about always doing. Religion keeps the moral law. Look, it's the standard. If I just keep things right here in the moral law, the problem is you can't keep it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Man, everything looks tight. I got a new haircut. Everything's good. But inside, a complete wreck. Religion keeps people at a bay. Keeps them at bay so they, don't, they can't go too deep to really know what's going on. You know, talking about earlier about I have people in my Claire is one of those people in my life. You would, Claire would not allow me, Jed and Claire, especially Claire, would not allow me to be just fill-in-the-blank preacher. She would grab me and go, you're a complete idiot. And I will not come to this church again if you keep doing fill-in-the-blank. I love her for that. I don't like when she grabs my face and goes, I'm talking to you, listen to me. But I love her for the, <laughs> I do love that because I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. But I know she does it because she loves me. If she didn't care about me, she'd just go, forget that dude. I know Jed loves me, therefore he speaks into my life. It's not about keeping the moral law because you can't. How many sinned on their way to church today? Oh, few truthful people. Okay, let's broaden that. How many sinned last 24 hours? You can't keep the law. It's not about keeping the law. It's about God's grace. And religious people think they got it all together because it all looks good on the outside. But it's not true. Religion that doesn't follow Jesus. Woe to you, here he goes again, there are seven woes in this Matthew. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, all like, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly, outwardly appears beautiful, but inward you're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He's going, Jesus literally saying, I know your game. It, 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 he's like, I know the crap that you're doing. I know how you're acting. Look, you don't think God, if God is God, I believe he is, if God is God, he's omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent. If God is God, you don't think he knows your little game? My little game? Our little pet sins? You don't think he sees? As religious people, we don't follow. And he just goes, you're, you're whitewashed tombs. Is it, I'm, what is God saying about me? What is he saying about you today? Jesus names religious leaders, specifically Simon. He calls him a hypocrite. He calls him a whitewashed tomb. He calls him blind guides. That's scary. In other words, they're, they're, they're religious, and they're taking people with them. Are you in this journey of religion? Am I taking anybody with me? Oh, God, have mercy. I hope I don't. He, he calls them ch a child of hell. Dead people's bones. That's religion. 
it's dead. There's no hope. It's insatiable because you're always trying to do and trying to do and trying to do and trying, and you can't be satisfied. It's not grace. Here's the key to Simon's blind spot. Simon, I have something to say to you, and he answers, say it, teacher. Uh, which he's, he sounds like a smart aleck, you know? Uh, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owned 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, here he is, smart aleck. The one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Here's his, his blind spot. He knew the answer. He knew the answer. He said the answer. Yet he never thought once about his own sin. He never, I, I've got so many answers, but dear God, let me think about my own sin. Why? Religion blinds you. It gives you this false sense of security that I'm doing the right thing. See, relationship, and someone will see this woman who's at the feet of Jesus goes, oh God, I, I deserve hell. I, I can do nothing apart from you. But this man got it all together, blind as can be. And he, this little phrase just throws me. I suppose he's with Jesus. Simon answered the one, I suppose from whom canceled the larger. Really? Really you suppose that the guy that owed a million, that he's going to be the one that's more happy than the one that owed 500? You suppose? You're an idiot. Not unlike me. And he says, you've judged rightly. It's religion. See, the moment that God speaks to you through someone, the moment that you see, the moment that, that, that it comes clear, which it was clear to Simon because he answered correctly, it's not, I suppose, that, oh, God, have mercy. You want to know if you're walking in a religious spirit or walking at the feet of Jesus? When someone calls something or calls you out on something, you don't go, well, I suppose that was sin. You go, oh, God, have mercy. Big difference here between religion and relationship. What does it look like then when you encounter the feet of Jesus? We just talked about what it looks like when you're religious. What does it look like when you encounter the feet of Jesus? The cultural reality was this, that Jesus, when this woman came into their meal, he should have just thrown this woman aside. The cultural reality is this. If, if she was that close, four cubits, if any woman that stood nearer to her, a Jew that was clean, they'd have to cast them out. This woman should have been nowhere near these men or Jesus because she was unclean. See, but, but the reality is this. Someone who, who um, has encountered the feet of Jesus doesn't care about religious norms. In fact, they step right into the religious norms and do things that freak out the religious people. And that's what she did. What does it look like when you encounter the feet of Jesus? She wet Jesus' feet with her tears. There's a brokenness. There's an awe. Where her tears, tears of joy, pain, suffering, maybe for the first time in a long time she had hope. Maybe for the first time in a long time she's sitting at his feet and she could feel the presence of Jesus. And everything for a moment became all right. 
peace just came upon her in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trying to figure out who I've got to sleep with next to pay the bills. I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus, and this peace comes over her, and she's a different woman. Maybe for that moment that she's experienced her Savior, that it's like, this is going to work out. So much so, she's broken down, and she's crying, and tears are following from her face. And, they're fall- and, and, and the, the Bible talks about God captures our tears, and so much so, it's, it's falling on the feet of Jesus, and it's washing his feet. There's so much brokenness of, of this is the position that we as Christians have to sit in. This place of I deserve hell, but God gives me grace and gives me life. So much so that it breaks me. As my wife is sitting here and reading that scripture and her friend Lakita, and, 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 and she says her life parallels the one of this lady. I didn't know she was a prostitute, but okay. That's all right. We're in ch- Come on. Come on. Stay with me here. Um, you know, it, it, but I know the brokenness of her and what she, the appreciation she has for what Jesus has done in her life. I see it every day. I experience it in my life. And this woman is broken and in awe that she's sitting there and in awe of the fact that Jesus hasn't kicked her out yet and he's not going to. And everything is going to be all right. There's hope that comes into the room. And then she wipes her tears away with her hair. She hastens to wipe the tears off with the only towel she had, the long locks of her own hair. She literally placed her glory at his feet. What what does that mean? She placed her glory at his feet. This woman was presumed to be a prostitute. She had long, beautiful hair that she used to attract men. That men would say, oh, she's beautiful. I want that. And, And she comes into the presence of Jesus, broken, in awe, and tears are just flowing. And the very thing that had made her what she was out there, she takes the glory that God had given her in her beauty and in her hair. She takes it and starts to wash Jesus' feet. What a picture that is. Can you I wish I was sitting in that table and I could experience that. And the reality is that, that I can. When I get outside of my religious crud and I sit in the presence of Jesus and I worship and I start to realize who I am or who I was and who I am she places her glory at his feet and she's washing his feet with his hair and her tears everything that she is is Jesus and the religious leaders are standing there judging self-righteously as we do and this woman is broken broken she's continually kissing the feet of Jesus tears are falling she's wiping his feet and she's kissing his feet See, because here's the deal. Gratitude produces humility, and humility produces grace, and grace produces hope. 
You walk around this place and you don't have gratitude, I'm telling you, you won't walk in a place of humility and you won't walk in hope. If you, if you steal gratitude away, if you don't have an understanding of the next breath that you draw upon has been given to you by God, if you can't be thankful, you're not going to walk in humility and grace. You're not going to walk in hope. There's this gratitude changes the atmosphere in your home. Thankfulness changes the atmosphere in your marriage, with your children, in your workplace. The whole, it, it sucks the, 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 the selfish, just me, me, me out of the room when you start going, oh God, thank you. Because what it does, it says this, this isn't about me. I didn't set this into place. Oh God, thank you. Oh God, thank you. One of the things we taught on and teach on in, in marriages is, is that thankfulness for your spouse. You want to change the atmosphere. The quickest way to do it is to have a heart of thankfulness. You want to change your, your wife from being mad at you to, to, to or, or loving you. Just, oh God, thank you for her. And looking at her and expressing to her how thankful for, you are for her. Gratitude produces humility. And this woman is... is, is tearing all over Jesus' feet and wiping his feet, and she's just saying, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And she kisses his feet, and she kisses his feet, and she kisses his feet. You, you can just imagine the picture if you could sit in there and you, you just see her. This woman who is, has been forgiven so much, one who's been given so much and forgiven of it, she's like, oh, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God. And the self-righteous son of a gun who's the religious leader, is judging. Then she does this. She pours perfume on his feet. Now, she, she gives him his bath. At this point, nothing mattered anymore. In other words, I've been working my job as a prostitute. I've been working and I've, I've, I've got all this money that I've saved up and the world treats me like crap because I'm, I'm a, a single prostitute woman and I, I've got all this. And, and she's broken over what Jesus has done and, and she's crying and wiping his feet and then she takes all that she has and she pours it over Jesus. It, most theologians think that what she poured over Jesus is a year's wage. That all, everything she'd saved up for a year. That she opened it and just said, it's yours, Jesus. She poured perfume on his feet. And in verse 49 and 50, the hardened religious leaders show themselves for who they are. Then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Jesus now, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The religious people, who is this Jesus that would allow this woman to do this? Who is this woman that would come into my house, interrupt my meal with this guy I don't really like because I didn't, I didn't treat him like I should have treated him? But who is she to come in here and do all that I should have done? And who is he to say, your sins are forgiven? 
Oh, we don't like that one. We don't like it when the, when the, the guy that's on death row or the, the I'm going to go on, uh, the guy or the girl that is in jail because they've done the most heinous crimes you can think of now repents and comes to Jesus. Dear God, don't forgive them. They should burn in hell. You ever heard that? I can't believe in a God who would allow a guy on murder row to go to heaven because all of a sudden he has a revelation of who God is. What happened with you? All of a sudden you had a revelation of who God was. Yours just happened to be before you killed that guy. Who is this? Who is this that even forgives sin? Religion never rejoices with the broken. Religion never cries with the broken. Oh, you should have had your stuff together. You should have raised those kids differently. You should have treated her. You should have, you should have, you should have. That's what religion does. But Jesus weeps. That's who God has called us to be. Not religious, self-righteous idiots. But men and women who can sit at the feet of God and go, Oh God, have mercy. Oh God, I don't deserve you. Oh God, I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve nothing. In fact, I deserve hell. And you give me life. Religion will never say that. It will just judge you. How beautiful are the feet. She knew her love was the result and not the cause of her forgiveness. She didn't go, oh, Jesus, I love you, and then forgive. No, no, no. She experienced and tasted the forgiveness of, the, of Jesus and his grace, and that just, that just opened her heart so much so that she's crying and wiping his feet and pouring out a year's wages on him. She's changed. The one, I suppose, for whom... You canceled the larger debt. Everybody in the room knew that she had the larger debt. Everybody in the room knew who she was in that town. Everybody in the room knew how she got her money. Everybody in that room knew she shouldn't have been there except for Jesus. That's the Jesus I want to follow. That's the Savior I want. That'll take someone like me bring me into his presence and allow me to worship. She understood what she deserved and she gave Jesus everything. She gave him everything. Our sins are not forgiven because we love God but we love God because of what he's done. Forgiven our sins. See the feet of Jesus How beautiful are the feet of Jesus that hung on the cross so that I could have life. How beautiful are the feet of Jesus that a nail pierced through and bled so that I didn't have to spend an eternity in hell. Oh, God, have mercy. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of the men and women in this church who preach the good news. 
How do they preach unless they're sent? Right now in the name of Jesus, I am sending you. I have authority through this word of God to say, go in the name of Jesus. I have authority because of who I am in Christ Jesus, as do you. And I'm saying in the name of Jesus, go and be the church. I'm saying in the name of Jesus, go and be the feet of Jesus and bring the good news to those who are dying and going to hell. Because the hope of Christ lives in you, those who have that relationship with him. It's powerful. Hope is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. And hope lives in you. Hope lives in you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Kind of got heavy in here, Father. Holy Spirit, I believe it's your presence that's not only nudging and, and convicting, but is, is saying, go. That is saying, you're forgiven. That is saying, as you worship and as you you are broken before me, I'll give you life. God, I thank you for the men and women who are in here. God, if there's anyone who hasn't experienced this relationship that we're talking about, this forgiveness and this grace, your word says that today is the day of salvation. And that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and says we will be saved, oh God, have mercy. If you want that grace and you want that eternal life and you want that relationship, it's as simple as confessing your sin to Jesus. Oh God, forgive me. And oh Lord, be the ruler in my life. If you know Jesus, how do you walk out of this place unchanged? Not because of the preacher, but because of who he is. How do you walk out today and not be the hands and feet of Jesus? Oh God, forgive us. Oh Lord, help us. God, forgive me for walking by so many people and never seeing them. God, forgive me for having all the right words to say. I got that scripture. I got this scripture. And not having a heart that's broken for you. Oh, God, forgive me for not worshiping. I got one. God, forgive me for not giving you my all. Financially, emotionally aspect of my life. Oh God, have mercy. Most of all, God, I thank you. Lord, in the midst of our chaos in our lives, I say thank you. If you have hopelessness, say thank you, God. Not for the hopelessness in the situation, but for what he can do. So God, thank you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name.